everybody, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. Since 2016, the big question here in Michigan has been whether Donald Trump's win here would signal a real change in our presidential politics or whether it was an anomaly. It was the first time in three decades that Michigan helped vote a Republican into the White House. So the question was, would we help Trump win a second term in 2020? The answer, it turns out, is no. It looked very close in Michigan for hours and hours after the polls closed on Tuesday. But as of today, it really doesn't look to have been all that close at all. Four years ago, Trump won Michigan by about a total of 10,000 votes. But this year, Joe Biden won 150,000 more votes than Trump did. But we still don't have a final answer about who's going to win nationally. We're going to spend the hour today talking about what we know and what we don't know. We've got two great political minds with us to start off with that discussion. Adrian Hemond is a Democratic political consultant and partner and CEO of Grassroots Midwest, a bipartisan grassroots advocacy firm. Adrian, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks a lot. And John Selleck is a Republican political communications consultant and the president and CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Affairs. John, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks, Stephen. And hello, Adrian. How are you? It is great to have both of you guys here with us. But before we get into all of the politics of the moment, I want to take a pause and talk about something that happened in downtown Detroit yesterday at the TCF Center. Republicans who claimed to be poll watchers tried to get in as elections workers and volunteers were trying to count votes. Then they started chanting, stop the vote. WDET's Laura Herberg was on the scene yesterday and joins us now. Laura, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. So I want to start with a clip of what we all saw on social media and some media coverage yesterday at TCF. So you can hear a pretty strong voiced crowd there saying, stop the vote. Uh, Laura, describe to us what you were seeing as this happened yesterday. Yeah, actually, the first thing I saw as I neared TCF Center, which is where all the absentee ballots are counted uh, in Detroit, was a Trump float rounding the block uh, with someone on a bullhorn uh, saying things about it being unfair. Um, Outside TCF Center, where you heard that chanting, um, there was probably about 50 people milling around. When I talked to folks, I said, why are you here? And they said, you know, we came down here uh, to be challengers, election challengers, and we're not being let inside. Um, Then I went into the building, down into the basement, which is where um, the counting actually occurs. And there's these windows right outside uh, the room with all the tables and the counting. And there were more uh, people lined up outside there. And at one point, they started banging on the windows uh, trying to get in. Uh, The windows were partially covered. Um, I guess at one point, they were covered with cardboard and paper to try and limit the banging because there were people trying to count ballots 
inside. Um, when I got inside the um, the counting center, I did see that they were letting some new challengers in, but I was told that they were only letting in nonpartisan challengers because they'd reached the quota for both Republican and Democratic challengers. Mm-hmm. So uh, some of the Republican claims here are about not being given reasonable opportunities to view the count match, uh, the, the count that's going on inside of, of TCF. And we know that, that the rules require that there be both Democratic and Republican observers of the process. How, how close to reality are those claims that Republicans have been pushed out of this? Well, it's funny because, you know, I was down there um, on Monday, which is, of course, before the ballots were being counted, but when they were being pre-processed. And I actually interviewed um, a Republican lawyer who was down there as a challenger, and he told me he was so proud. They had uh, about 130 people down there. They're just observing the process. And you can see them all standing around. They really stand out demographically. There's a huge difference. Most of the challengers are white. Most of the uh, absentee ballot counters are African-American. And they were down there in full force. And, and that continued. I did talk to a, um, a Democratic challenger outside TCF Center yesterday. He told me he worked uh, uh, 4.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. yesterday. And he said there were there were Republican challengers there. He said the problem is, is they were trying to talk to uh, the counters, which is not allowed. Some of them weren't wearing masks, which is not allowed. And he said they were being very disruptive, but he said they were definitely there. Um, so claims that they weren't being allowed in, he said, were, were false. Hmm. And and what's your sense of how this crowd came together what, what what attracted people down to TCF yesterday afternoon? This was, of course, after uh, the AP called Michigan for Joe Biden. Uh, it was, I think, during some of the still still during some of the counting in the Senate race. But but how did these folks know to go down to TCF and even do what they were doing or or demand to be let in? hard for me to say for sure exactly, Um, but there were a series of things that happened around the same time. As you mentioned, uh, Michigan was called for Biden. President Trump's campaign filed a lawsuit saying that uh, the challengers were unable to uh, properly observe the process, and there were multiple social media calls for both Republicans and Democrats to come down and be challengers and participate in the process. And I think so all those three three things just kind of happening around the same time resulted in a crowd of people, mostly Trump supporters, although there were um, Democrats who came down around the same time to counter what was happening. And actually, uh, on my way out of the center, um, it was no longer just uh, uh, mostly Republican supporters chanting, uh, stop the voter, the count. Um, there were then uh, counter protesters who arrived and were uh, chanting "Count every vote" and holding uh, signs saying mm-hmm. that. Okay, Laura Herberg, are you headed back down to TCF today for uh, for more of all of this? I'm not sure yet, Stephen. <laughs> but if I'm sent down there, then I, I'll be happy to do my duty. <laughs> okay, uh, thanks very much for being with us and updating us. 
on uh, what happened there. Okay, I want to bring uh, Adrian Hemond and John Selleck into the conversation now. John Selleck, I'm going to start with you. You're a Republican political communications consultant, president and CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Affairs, and somebody who's worked in Republican politics for a long time here in the state of Michigan. I want to hear you react to what we saw yesterday at the TCF Center. Well, first, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, uh, Having poll watchers in place is a totally, not only legal, but common thing. Um, And as you know, Detroit being a vastly predominant Democrat city, there's not a lot of Republican poll watchers in the city sitting around waiting to volunteer and show up. So, of course, there are going to be people who come from outside the city um, to fulfill those roles. Uh, The Republicans don't really have a choice, so that's what happens on that front. And I think also, as far as the protests go, and you hear um, your reporter talk about how protests happened um, essentially from both sides, we, that is just a given and a fact. Maybe I'm getting a little cynical, but uh, protests are, have always been part of the American political scene, but they are used uh, nonstop these days. And they're so easily organized for social media um, and the networks that have been developed during the presidential campaigns, the machinery that was in place on both sides for the presidential campaigns is easily activated. And, and in fact, they both both sides want to keep them activated. And so it's it's good for them, for their purposes, to send people down. And the media is going to be there, so everyone's going to be watching. But frankly, like in the past, there's been enough controversy around the counting of the votes in Detroit, and usually they end up being rumors, but there's been enough controversy that People are going to watch. That's just the fact of how it goes. There's been controversy. I mean, Garland Gilchrist was lieutenant governor in part because the city clerk was not good at her job. He ran the challenger, and that's how he rose to fame. Um, Mayor Duggan talked yesterday about how he thought it went well, but he said it was, that was in comparison to all the drama. That was his word that happened um, in the past. And then yesterday, the Wayne County clerk went and did a national TV interview, and it was just probably not a good idea for her. She didn't really have answers on anything. She kept looking off the screen, like looking for someone to tell her what to say. And unfortunately, all those little things add up to uncertainty or concern. And the bottom line is transparency is the best answer. Um, Having those people there is part of the law. Um, It's good for democracy, for both sides to be observing and watching. And I think probably what happened in some ways is uh, there was a quote from one of the election officials that just said, all of a sudden, we realized there were way too many people in the room. And we started kicking them out. And that might sound reasonable, but what it means is in the first place, they let the room get out of control. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm concerned primarily about the protest outside and the things that people were saying and the way that it reinforces some untruths, malicious untruths about Detroiters. There's no question that we have big problems in the clerk's office here. I don't think anybody would dispute that. But the implication of stop the vote uh, and the things that people were saying is that somehow there's there's cheating going on. There's there's mischief afoot uh, as we're as we're counting this, these votes. And the truth is that that's never been true in Detroit. We haven't even ever been really accused of of that sort of thing. And there's no proof or even suggestion that there's an effort to to either not count people's votes or to count too many votes or to make up votes. I mean, uh, and when you put it in the context of the national narrative about this, I mean, Tucker Carlson was on television last night talking about what goes on in Detroit. I'm not sure he's ever even been here. But uh, this, this idea of 
casting doubt on Detroit because of glitches in the in the clerk's office and frankly because of a lack of state funding to be able to make that clerk's office better. I mean, there's something really irresponsible about that, John. I, and and it, it, it doesn't just bother me. It, it, it enrages me. I mean, it, this, is, this is an accusation without basis. Uh, and I think it's bathed in the kind of uh, discrimination that uh, we face in the city all the time from people who are not from here. Well, I agree with you that some of the things that were being said um, may not have had a basis in truth. And for those who are saying it, they're going to need to put their evidence on the table. They're going to need to put their cards on the table. Um, But making sure that that room is well run and that it's transparent, um, that folks in there are not cheering when Republicans are excluded from the room, even if all those things end up being totally circumstantial or um, they don't really affect the outcome of the vote cast, they, they create doubt and see the doubt. And really, I think what that tells me is overall the level of tension that America's at and the level of tension that Michigan has became, being such a uh, essentially a 50-50 state. I mean, you said it, the, there's a lot bigger of a margin for Biden this time than last time, but still in the picture of five and a half million votes, the margin is small. Mm. It's tiny. And so there's a lot of pressure on everybody involved. Um, and like I said, I think it's important to remember, too, that, that all that machinery from the from the campaign did not suddenly switch off um, yeah. when Election Day ended. Just because Election Day goes out. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Adrian Hemond, I, I want to get you to react as well to what we saw yesterday in downtown uh, Detroit. Uh, was this was this an appropriate reaction to an effort to simply count the votes? I think it's important to be clear about what happened. Um, poll challengers are credentialed by the political parties. Um, I've been a poll challenger before. I assume that John has before. Um, you know, I've actually, um, even though I'm a Democrat, I've been credentialed as a poll challenger by the Michigan Republican Party before. Um, and so the idea that Republicans were trying to get poll challengers into the room because there were none is patently false. And they know that um, because they issued the credentials for the people that were in the room. So I think it's important to point out that this protest that was organized in a Facebook group was based initially on a falsehood. Um, It's absolutely true that the machinery of the campaigns remains in place and that, you know, um, as as one protest starts um, from either side, there's always going to be a reaction. But I think it's really important to start um, with some basic facts, which is that there were credentialed poll challengers that were in the room. um, And the Michigan Republican Party knows that because they issued the credentials. Adrian, are you concerned as I am about the the context of this kind of activity and the weight uh, of history that I think accompanies this kind of challenge? You have uh, a bunch of people from outside the city coming into the city, suggesting somehow that the voting that goes on here is is inappropriate or or illegal. I don't think you can strip it out of racial context. I think that has a lot to do with it. It has a lot to do with the way that people uh, react to these things. I I wonder how all of that uh, falls on your ears and eyes. 
Sure. Well, um, I, I don't think that you can ever, um, when we're talking about anything political or, or social in Michigan with reference to Detroit, um, you know, it, it's impossible to escape the issue of race. Um, in addition to that, there is a grand old tradition in American politics, regardless of the race or ethnicity of people that live in large cities, um, that the political parties are going to try and um, are going to try and muck around and wring every bit of advantage out of the vote. Um, and there's typically going to be one party in American politics. It hasn't always been the Republicans, um, although that's certainly been the case in in modern history. Um, that is going to be disadvantaged by large turnout um, in the urban centers. Mm. Um, and so this this really does go back almost to the founding. Um, and obviously, you pile the issue of race on top of that, and it's why you have these potentially explosive situations. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with John Selleck and Adrian Hemond about uh, the vote counting that is going on here in the state of Michigan, the vote results that we have so far. And we want to start hearing from you guys. How are you feeling about the election, knowing what we know at this moment? Are you happy with the results so far? Are you feeling hopeful or discouraged? by the return so far, especially in the presidential race. Uh, what do you think of what happened yesterday at the TCF Center uh, in Detroit? Also call and tell us how your voting experience went this year. Did you have trouble getting your ballot, filling it out, or returning it? Or did it go smoothly? Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Adrian Hemond, who is a Democratic political consultant and partner and CEO of Grassroots Midwest, a bipartisan grassroots advocacy firm. Also with us is John Selleck, a Republican political communications consultant, president, and CEO of Harbor Strategic Public Affairs. We're talking about the ongoing Vote counting here in the state of Michigan, the results that we know, the results that we're not sure of yet. And we want to hear from you about how you're feeling about uh, election 2020 as it continues to unfold each day uh, around us. You can always give us a call. Join the conversation at 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, we've already got a fair number of listeners who want to participate in the conversation. That is not a surprise. But before we get to them, John, I, I, I want to talk a little about what we saw on Election Day and what it means to the Republican Party. We saw Donald Trump get 300,000 more votes, uh, at least as of now, uh, in the state of Michigan than he did in 2016. And even if he comes up short... Uh, that's an improvement on his part. It's something I'm not sure anybody really predicted. But I, I wonder what you make of the influence that this person, who was the president, became the president four years ago, and and I guess and could still be the president given the you know the the ongoing vote count. But his influence over the party itself. Uh, does this election? say anything about the extent to which he has remade the Republican Party in his own image? And and how, in your mind, does that conflict with 
the image that Republicans, I think, uh, would rather project about who they are and, and where they want to be headed. Well, I think it's interesting, first and foremost, that all the polls were essentially disproven to a large extent that Trump was a one-time deal, <clears throat> at least the issues that he talks about. His coalition largely remained intact, and it reflects a, a much larger, bigger picture realignment of the parties and, and where all the counties go, whether they're red or blue. Um, he essentially held his large margins in the more rural uh, counties across northern Michigan and uh, well, around Michigan, not just northern Michigan, but rural counties around Michigan. He held those margins. He lost a smidge uh, across the board in most of those places, but like the Thumb and northern Michigan, the rural counties to the south. Um, heck, all the rural counties outside of Berrien in the 6th Congressional District, he held all his margins, and that helped Fred Upton run to a, a huge victory when everybody nationally thought that Fred might get knocked off by this coming blue wave. So there was not there was not a blue wave, and what the election revealed was that Michigan still is essentially this 50-50 place, but you're correct that whether he created the change or whether he just sped it up, um, all these blue-collar and rural voters have, have migrated into the Republican base, and that means that future candidates in the party uh, definitely are going to have to run uh, on those issues about uh, industrial workers and former blue-collar workers who are frustrated with their ability to find a job or to get paid at the level they used to get paid, uh, with people's frustration about international trade in China and, and other issues like that. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, it does not seem that there is any other person who has the personality to carry that off mm. um, going forward. So how it holds in place will be fairly fascinating because we're about to see a whole realm of not Trump impersonators, but people who want to rise to the throne. And a, a large part of what Donald Trump is, is being a showman. Um, and I, that's not something that we see in most Republican candidates. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Adrian, I want to ask you kind of the flip side of that question. Why didn't Democrats do better uh, in this in this election? It, it, it does appear that uh Democratic uh, Democratic candidates are going to end up winning the big races here in Michigan. We still don't know what's going to happen nationally, but even so, it's way closer than people predicted. And I think that says something about the party's ability to appeal to some of these voters that John was just talking about, rural voters uh, here in the state of Michigan and around the country, and to some extent, suburban voters. Uh, I, I think that when we are done sort of picking through the results here, we'll see that there was significant suburban abandonment of uh, Donald Trump, uh, but not to the extent that people believed. And it didn't have the effect that people thought it would on down-ballot races. Uh, the state house, for instance, I think turned out a lot differently than people uh, predicted and, and some other local races. What, what happened? Well, I, I mean, there are uh, there are a lot of things that happened. I mean, you you made reference to the state house. Um, Republicans drew the last map, um, <laughs> well, <right? laughs> so it was uh, slightly more favorable environment for them to run in some of those seats. I think the other thing is, and this is true of Democrats, but I think it's more true broadly about our politics, is the um, falling into the great expectations trap. Right. Obviously, the pollsters fed into that a lot because, um, you know, there's a there's a big problem in the polling industry right now that we can perhaps talk about later. Um, but I think also people expect um, people expect too much from politics. They expect to win everything every time. Democrats had a really good year. 
um, they won the presidency. Um, Democrats, uh, you know, they they are going to win, um, you know, their state ed board seats back. Um, you know, they they had a good night overall. They did not sweep everything. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the the sort of dichotomy in, of 2008 and 2010 strikes again. Right. Um, that's what people are expecting from politics now. They're expecting the Obama wave that just sweeps Republicans out of office and we get to do whatever we want. Or they're expecting the 2010 wave where we just sweep Democrats um, out of office and we can stop the president from doing anything he wants. Um, That seems to be the expectation now. You look at the history of American politics, that's actually very, very unusual. Yeah, it doesn't happen. Uh, all that often. Okay, I well, want to. I think what go we, ahead, John. we've also we've also seen there is, as you as we are able to start digging through these numbers, and trust me, there's so much more information for us to be looking at. We'll be able to we'll be able to come back many times and talk about it, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but where you see where the the president was outperformed by other Republicans on the ballot, mm-hmm. um, just in the last few minutes before your show came on the air, um, MERS News Service in Lansing announced that Terry Lynn Land got elected to the Wayne State Board of Governors. Oh wow. Um, that a Republican, Pat O'Keefe, knocked off um, Masson on the MSU yeah, I saw Board that. of Trustees, uh-huh. right? Um, the House Republicans held on to their majority, like you guys talked about. Um, voters, there are a certain layer of voters who did not want to vote for Trump also did not want to vote for a set of progressive policies that's energizing the Democratic Party right now. And we saw that take place. We saw Peter Meyer run much better in the 3rd District in Kent County and Grand Rapids, as did John James, than Trump did. So it's something that Republic or that Democrats will have to take seriously. When they look over at the other side, you can't just talk about Trump. They're going to have to look in the mirror, too. They didn't have a blue wave because once a lot of voters got past President Trump and looked further down the ballot, they were picking Republican policies over Democrat in a lot of areas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to get to callers here and uh, other listeners. If you want to participate, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's start with Terry in Detroit. Terry, welcome to the show. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Stephen. Um, I called to, I, I went over to the TF, TCF Center yesterday afternoon about five o'clock. And um, I, I just think it's appropriate to report what actually this is. It was a bunch of suburbanites in Detroit chanting, stop the count. That's what it was. Mm. And I watched a couple of young African-Americans who were there promoting that every vote be counted, be accosted by some of these people um, that were in, you know, the stop the the vote crowd. And there were people in the stop the vote crowd that had black and white American flags on their ball caps. And we all know what that signals. Mm. I mean, this, we shouldn't sugarcoat what it was. It was totally inappropriate totally inappropriate and it was more of the isms that we see in the society from one group directed at another group Mm. the other point i want to make is that a friend worked the polls she was a counter in the room um she did the day shift yesterday and she told me that the um republican challengers as the biden count started going up republican challengers really started misbehaving and trying to be disruptive and I witnessed this myself. I worked the re-election, re-co- not the re-election, the recount for the last election in 16. And, and I watched the same thing happen with a bunch of suited white lawyers harassing us at the tables as we were trying to do the recount. Mm. So 
I just don't want to sugarcoat this. Yeah. I just think we need to say exactly what it is. Yeah, uh, Terry, I appreciate the call, and and I, I absolutely agree. I mean, as I watched through social media and through the reports that I was getting from the staff at Bridge Detroit, uh, uh, who were, of course, all over this down there. I mean, th- that that's absolutely what seemed to be going on. John Selleck, uh, h- how much responsibility uh, does the re- does the party uh, bear for encouraging this kind of response to things and kind of uh, winking and nodding even uh, at this kind of behavior rather than coming out and saying, "Listen, this is not okay. This is this is uh, calling on a history that we want to get away from, and uh, it's 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 you know it is trying to it is trying to deny." the franchise to people who are casting legitimate ballots uh, in, in, in their, in their home cities. I mean, uh, the, the idea of stopping the vote, I think is a really disturbing message. It is uncomfortable on the surface. Certainly I wasn't there uh, and I'm not with any of those folks, so I can't speak for them. Um, my take by reading the articles uh, and the argument that will be made in court to stop the vote, quote unquote, was based on the idea that the that the GOP didn't have its full allotment of poll watchers at every single table in place, and that the vote shouldn't keep going unless they had a full opportunity to have, by law, um, their legal amount of poll watchers in there. Reading the stories and trying to sift through them this morning, it seems like there's enough comments by even by city officials on their concern that they didn't quite have control of the room, that they had let too many people in, that they had to start taking some people out. Um, that leads to a lot of confusion. We know how information flies through crowds and things like that. That's part of the issue. And then, But the people outside the room also need to be able to be aware that they don't have the full story and that they need to know what they're talking about. And frankly, for any bad actors that are showing up there, I, I like Adrian said earlier, we've each taken turns being poll watchers down there. Uh, I did a turn one day during the Jill Stein recount last time, and it went perfectly fine for me. Um, but for anybody that showed up and wanted to be a bad actor, when you're standing in that close of quarters and then with the added concerns of COVID and who's wearing a mask and who has it over their nose or doesn't, there's a lot of tension going on there. So for anybody that shows up purporting to help the Republicans and is is being irritating, basically, is a nice way to put it, hmm. um, or worse, um, they're, they're causing problems for Republicans. They're causing problems for the credibility of all GOP candidates across the state, and you know, they, need to, they need to just quit. Yeah. They need to be called out. Yeah. Uh, again, Terry, thanks for the call and the report on uh, what you saw yesterday. Let's go to Cindy in Ferndale. Cindy, welcome to the show. Oh, hi, Stephen. Hey. I just wanted to point out um, a lesson I learned when I was four or five years old. I went across the street to play a board game with some neighbors, and I lost. And I <laughs> cried and ran home. And my parents sat me down and explained that they had been letting me win my whole life. And that if I was going to play the game, I had to be prepared to lose. And I had to be prepared to lose with grace. Hmm. And I learned that when I was five. (laughs) And it seems like uh, that guy that's been in the office uh, never learned that. He's been winning all his life. And he is not able to lose with grace. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation, Sydney, about what what's going on right now. I'm not sure that it's time for him to 
quite yet admit that uh, that he has lost. I think uh, we want to count a lot more votes, but but I do think the the behavior that we've seen, not just since the election, but certainly since he was elected four years ago, suggests that he's not a great loser. He said something to that effect the other day. Uh, I, I, I appreciate the the call and the the sort of throwback lesson to when we were kids and how we all uh, have to be able to to stomach not winning. Uh, so I appreciate that. Let's go to Matt in Detroit. Matt, welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Stephen. Thanks for including me in the conversation. Uh-huh. Uh, I am uh, or was for the last two days a Democratic challenger uh, and I'm also an attorney, um, and I, I just wanted to call in to uh, share some of my observations about sure. that. Um, you know, first to to thank and congratulate all the poll workers, and uh, Daniel Baxter did an extraordinary job mm-hmm. overseeing the whole process. Um, when we're looking back at Election Day, the process was smooth. The poll workers worked together adjudicators both from the Republican Party and the Democratic Party reviewed any ballots with any problems and 100 percent agreed across the board. This was about process and counting votes. And it wasn't until yesterday when uh, it became clear that the results might threaten um, the the Republican presidency, Hmm. that there was an enormous amount of uh, outrage and protest and interference and uh, it, it was it was intimidating having people banging on the door as these poll workers are trying to do their jobs. Um, I you know observed uh, people interfering with the process by uh, ta- taking uh, comments, just shouting, "Look, they're changing the votes! They're changing the votes!" As people were trying to transcribe military ballots, which were not in the proper form, hmm. so to allow our overseas service members to vote. The only thing that was being challenged after four o'clock um, yesterday was relating to those 5,000 military ballots and just a few additional ballots that that had to be processed uh, that came in, uh, you know, just before the deadline. Right. Um, so, so really, it became um, when it became a results driven process where people were checking their cell phones. Uh, and that's important is that no one was allowed cell phones on Election Day. It wasn't until right. yesterday when. It became results oriented when they're looking at what's what's happening in the in the national race. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's really interesting, Matt. I, I love that we're getting uh, folks to to call and talk about what is actually happening in the process inside, so that uh, so that we can dispel some of the myths about <clears throat> what what is actually happening here. Um, Matt, I really appreciate the call and uh, your insights. Okay, John Selleck and Adrian Hemond, it is always great to have you guys here. Uh, I really appreciate you coming by and uh, sharing your insights with us. Thanks for being with us. Thanks Thank a lot. You. Here's to uh, the rest of the election uh, getting done quickly. Yes, quickly. And calmly so we can and, move on to the holidays. That's right. That's right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk with longtime Associated Press Washington Bureau Chief Ron Fournier about what he is seeing from election 2020. And we want to continue to hear from you. What are you thinking about what's going on? How are you feeling about what you did on Tuesday? What results you've seen so far? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
Your city. Your town. Your voice. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for joining us. We're talking about election 2020 still going on, still counting a lot of the votes, still trying to figure out who won the presidential contest and lots of other things that we decided on Tuesday. We want to hear from you about how you're feeling about things. We want to hear from you about what you are reacting to out of the results that we are getting here in the state of Michigan and all over the country. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll get to you as well. I want to welcome another voice to this conversation. Uh, Ron Fournier is president of the Truscott Rossman PR firm, former publisher of Crane's Detroit Business, and was the bureau chief of the Associated Press Washington Bureau. Ron, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me, Steve. That was a great conversation you just had. Yeah, no, it was really interesting, right? I mean, I I think uh, this question about what's going on at TCF and what role the parties are playing and what role all of this plays in the future of the parties. Uh, I can't uh, get enough of it. I was telling the producers uh, this this morning that uh, I was up till three again last night, just glued <laughs> to the television. I can't I can't pull myself away from it. And of course, they're very good at manipulating you into thinking that something big is about to happen. If you get up and go to bed, you'll miss it. But uh, but I I am their target audience right now. That is. Uh, that is for sure. So, so let's start with your big takeaways from the election so far. Well, I think uh, you know you had both uh, presidential candidates essentially growing their their base. You had Biden um, outperforming Hillary Clinton in the suburbs, which are more and more diverse among college graduates, um, and in a smaller way, uh, the middle, uh, the few swing voters we have left. You look at the numbers; um, they tended to break Biden's way. For Trump, he grew his base in rural areas and exurban areas, and in a very small way, he uh, he cut away at the Democratic uh, margins among Latinos and and Black voters. And then at the end of the day, um, Biden grew his base a little bit more than Trump. Um, it looks like he's going to be the next president, and structurally. Um, probably not a lot has changed. I mean, of course, we're going to have Biden is actually likely we're going to have a much different president. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be a divided country, even more deeply divided than it was, and uh, a divided Congress. Um, and we see the same thing actually playing out on on the state level. So um, that's kind of the the high points for me. It's, yeah. it's uh, if you if you if, if if you're glad that Trump is gone, we should celebrate that. Um, if it does happen to you know, it does play out the way it looks like it will. Um, but we still got a lot of work to do as a democracy. Yeah. So let's talk about the president's reaction to the <laughs> things that have happened, which I, I guess I'm not terribly surprised. Uh, but you tweeted on Tuesday night that democracy needed a landslide, a cleansing, and it, you know, it won't get it because things are so close. Uh, the, the the speech Tuesday night, I think, really highlights just how toxic uh, the, the 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 discussion, the narrative is in the country right now. And and this person 
who is the president of the United States, is at the center of that toxicity. I mean, this idea of immediately casting doubt on the process because he didn't think it was going his way is one of the things that I think uh, a lot of people won't miss if, if he loses and, and has, to, has to go back to New York or Florida. Yeah, you know, I try to look at things beyond just, you know, this cycle and what it means for the country. And, and um, you know, it's one thing to defeat him. Um, it's another thing to defeat what he stands for. And, and that's what I've been looking for this cycle, because he's just a symptom of a much bigger problem. So we had a chance to send a message to history, to future generations of voters, to future presidential candidates, to future potential despots, autocrats, um, that this country overwhelmingly rejects overt racism, not even subtle racism, overt racism, um, lack of decency, um, incompetence. Uh, he, subjectively, he's been incompetent in running the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. He, he delegated it to governors and then not helped them. And maybe the worst is, is what he's shown again here Tuesday. He didn't just cast doubt on the electoral policy. He called it um, corrupt. Yeah. Um, he, 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 is, he is saying that votes are being stolen when there is absolutely no evidence that that is the case, and he's only doing it uh, to protect power. So... He may be, be narrowly defeated, but the cancer, uh, the bigotry, uh, the, the, the uh, acceptance of incompetence because it's my guy, um, and um, the extra constitutional behavior, uh, we did not defeat that. Uh, we did not resoundly as a country um, say no more. And, and that's what concerns me. And, and it's not just one party. Um, I'm not into false equivalencies, but we have, a, we have a problem with our whole political system. And we had a chance to stand up and say, uh uh-uh, uh, no more. And we didn't quite do it. We didn't yeah. quite get it done. Yeah, no, we didn't. Uh, um, this this question of how things kind of fit in the larger narrative, which I know, you, as you said, you're you're really f- focused on. I, I wonder what you think a President Biden, if that comes to pass, might do in the first hundred days or the first six months of his presidency to signal that we're going to do this differently, and yeah, I've got things that uh, I want to accomplish, but I, I, I also want to make sure that uh, that we can function as a government. Uh, what are the ways that he might reach out even to say, let's let's forget about uh, what's happened, some of what's happened in the in the past, and and try to carve out a different kind of partnership. Well, it starts with rhetoric, and you can't dismiss rhetoric, Stephen, as you know. It's, a, it's the biggest tool a president has. Sure. He will he already has talked about, um, I will represent all of you, not just the people who voted for me, which mm-hmm. Donald Trump has is, is never um, even pretended to, to represent um, blue America. Um, he'll talk with uh, decency and, and compassion and empathy in a way that the past president hasn't. He'll also try to reach across party lines. He fashions himself as somebody who can get along with Republicans, because he did um, in, a, in a different era. And mm-hmm. he'll put forward policies that he's promised he would. Um, we'll get back into the Paris Treaty. Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll try to expand Obamacare and put in a public option, that kind of thing. Now, now here's the trick, though, Stephen, because it's your next question. Those are things he'll signal, but what we actually get done? Mm-hmm. Probably very little. Um, because we didn't send that big signal. Um, Republicans still have control of the Senate. 
Democrats have less of a control over the House than they did. Mitch McConnell will do the same thing he did with Barack Obama, and that is pledge to make Joe Biden a one-term failed president and block everything Biden tries to do. And the Democrats, because of their inability to really um, not just defeat, but soundly defeat Trump, um, are going to be are going to be hampered. And I think the Democratic Party needs to look at itself. How is it we lost much of this guy and then barely beat him? What does that say about us and the way we are governing and and ruling and talking to all of America? Because at the end of the day, I don't think he gets much done. Mm. Uh, Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Sarita in Detroit. Sarita, welcome to the show. You there, Sarita? Good morning, Stephen. I'm here. How hey, are you? Good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. How are you feeling about things? I'm exhausted. I was at TCS <laughs> yesterday. Yeah. So from uh, 1030 until midnight. Oh. So I've never experienced anything like that. And I have worked every presidential election since 96. Mm. So tell me what, what, what it was like. You know, I had no idea what to expect. Um, and I really went because I worked election day at the polls um, and then received a call that they needed challengers and was really there to protect the vote. But what I saw wasn't, that's not what we should call democracy. Those people, you know, the election workers, and God bless them, they were amazing. They were there to do a job. But the number of Republican challengers, and please, we have to dispel the fact that they didn't have access. They were outnumbering us in terms of, I registered as a Democratic challenger. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was honestly insane. And then the moment when they began beating on the door was criminal. I, and I was, I mean, I'm a Detroiter, as you know, uh, and a lawyer, and I was just, it was criminal. Mm. It was threatening. People were felt afraid. How can they be expected? And it all just seemed designed to ensure that we could not have a valid count in Detroit. So let's not, you know, pretend that this was all about protecting the vote. Right. Right. I mean, this is voter. This is voter suppression. I mean, this is how it, it's one of the ways, at least, uh, that it works. Um, Sarita, I really appreciate. Uh, I appreciate you calling in uh, to tell us about. That experience, but I also, of course, appreciate what you did going down there to make sure that uh, the democratic process can uh, take place the way it's supposed to and is protected. Um, let's go to Ned in Ann Arbor. Ned, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. I just want to, you know, first echo what your last caller said. I was a Democratic fall challenger as, as well, and everything she said was incredibly accurate. Uh, I would just sum it up as saying that um, you can see sort of a microcosm and a representation of the two parties in what happened at at TCF yesterday. There was one group who was trying to stop democracy, who was suppressing the vote, who was trying to uh, muddy and cast doubt on the process and slow it down and slog it down in lawsuits and et cetera, et cetera, all unfounded. And then the Democrats were trying to make sure everyone's voice was heard, that everyone was getting to participate in democracy. Hmm. And it's really just a representation that you see all across the country that when a party is bereft of ideas, and, and ways to help, they're down to just threatening, fear, and uh, disenfranchisement. Yeah, yeah. No, no I, appreciate, uh, I appreciate the call and the, and the comments. I love the number of people who were at TCF yesterday who are calling the program today to talk about what actually happened there. I think 
uh, that that sort of firsthand uh, reporting about things is super important because there's so much myth making and just outright lying uh, that goes on about about the things that uh, that that happen. Um, Ron Forney, I, I want to get you to react to this idea of the, uh, this as a tactic by the Republican Party and the idea that they are kind of out of ideas about things and that the strategy now is to just make sure that the other side's votes don't get cast or or don't get counted. seems to me that even if you win on that count in the short term, that is not a long-term strategy for survival or growth. No, I agree with both callers. It's not a, it's not a strategy, strategy for democracy. Because of my old job, I know a lot of Republican challengers in Detroit and around the country, frankly, um, Stephen, who report that they were able to do what they've done every cycle, which is work with the Democratic challengers to make sure that um, the votes were properly cast. Um, there is no um, balance against Republicans. Uh, uh, the process was working the way it always has in this country and the way it always should until Trump. Um, going back to what Cindy said, uh, realized he was losing the game and wanted to overturn the uh, the monopoly board. Mm-hmm. And literally, they sent out emails to their um, Trumpies saying, go to the TCF Center, and this happened in other states. And their only job was uh, was to not let fairly cast votes to be counted. And that is what happens in autocracies in, 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 in dictatorship. It's not what's supposed to happen in Michigan. I'll never, or in the United, in, in United States, I'll never forget how appalled I was in 2000, the recount I covered then with in Florida, watching Republicans storm the one mm-hmm. um, uh, place one day. It was more of a photo op mm-hmm. to make the system look outrageous. But even that then was, we'd never seen anything like that. And, and, and the political system was appalled at it. And the Republicans had to back away from those kind of tactics. And Bush had to denounce them. There is no shame in the Republican Party anymore. Uh, there, there is no um, pushing back when, when a few extremists get out of hand. Now the extremists have taken over the party, mm-hmm. and we saw that at TCF Center yesterday. It was uh, appalling and, frankly, scary. Yeah. I mean, is that how we're now going to be doing elections? Um, can we stand up to that kind of behavior? They did in TCF Center, thanks to the, the heroes that were just on the call and the police officers who... Who kept the peace, but yeah. um, we need the Republicans you know, half to the do it too. Going crazy. Yeah. yeah. All right, Ron Fournier, president of the Truscott Rossman PR firm. Always great to catch up with you. Thanks very much for being with us. Thanks, buddy. All right. This is going to do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to have a conversation about how the race has progressed and the role of pollsters in this historic election. A lot of them taking a beating after being somewhat inaccurate in their predictions. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.